Welcome to Broken Law, brought to you by the American Constitution Society, a 501c3 nonprofit, nonpartisan organization. I'm Beth Binchik, Director of Policy and Program at ACS. Artificial intelligence has been a hot topic over the last year. With implications covering a vast array of sectors, artificial intelligence could transform our lives. Although this technology can increase our productivity, it's not without risk. Artificial intelligence can perpetuate biases and generate false information. One area of particular concern is that artificial intelligence could be misused for the purpose of influencing elections. Here to help us understand how artificial intelligence could affect our democracy is Lisa Gilbert. Lisa is Public Citizen's Executive Vice President. Her work covers issues related to government transparency and integrity, financial reform, civil justice, and consumer protection. She's been quoted in a number of publications, including the New York Times, the Washington Post, and NPR, just to name a few. Lisa, welcome to Broken Law. Thanks so much for having me. Great to be here. Many have been talking about the risk that deep fakes could be used in upcoming elections. Could you explain what exactly are deep fakes? It's a great question. It's a phrase that's thrown about a technical terms. It's basically the 21st century's answer to photoshopping. Deep fakes use artificial intelligence, deep learning, machine learning to make images of uh, fake events, people, action. And certainly the, the risk and the threat is that AI generated deep fakes could make a candidate look like they're doing or saying something that they never did which of course could damage that person's reputation and could impact or swing an election. Could be incredibly problematic. And that's, that's in a nutshell what folks are very worried about. So you touched on the fact that there have been different forms of manipulation in existence prior to deepfakes. What is it about deepfakes that makes them different in just the risk that they pose? Yeah, I mean, a bunch of different <laughs> things make them more dangerous, more damaging. The biggest one is just the believability. So artificial intelligence is able to create images uh, or video or audio or text, <laughs> which seem incredibly real. So real that it is hard for an average American to judge whether it is coming from authentic media, whether it's a, a real post, a real source or not. And it's it's an open question whether if those this type of fake media uh, is presented to a voter, if they'd be able to debunk it in time, it could certainly impact um, their vote or how they think about a candidate. Yeah, and to me, one of the things that's so can can be so convincing about deepfakes is that with video, it's multisensory. You've got an image that looks like it's matching the speed at which speech is coming out. The lips seem to sync up. And just having that kind of multi-sensory experience in a way that I don't think we've really had before. It seems different in kind to Photoshop, where people are pretty understanding that you can twist a still image and make it look different. But this just seems so novel. And bringing in multiple senses at the same time seems difficult to comprehend. That's completely right. It's in addition to how real it seems, it can create it at a faster pace. And there are no no clear guidelines currently out there to help us understand if something was created by AI or if it was created by a regular person. So that, that as well can sort of seed distrust uh, in the system. We've seen explosion of AI that's impacting multiple parts of society. It's not just elections. You probably saw this artificial photo of an explosion near the Pentagon. It went viral. Dupe 
spooked Americans and it triggered a dip in the stock market. So a deep fake can impact how people are making investments um, in addition to elections. We've heard a lot about fraudsters taking audio of regular people and, and turning it into scam calls um, that sound exactly like your friend or family member calling you. If you hear a loved one on the other end of a line, you're way more likely to send send money, send help than you are if it's a you know an African prince calling, for example, the, the more old school type of scam. So the ramifications to our society, you know, it's really big. And I think our elections feel like a, a first line of defense because they're coming at us so quickly. Advertising is such an important part of how people interact with elections and, and what politicians spend money on. Um, so really getting it right around 2024, um, it's kind of a test case for how we grapple with AI across the board. So many people who are talking about the risk of deep fakes in elections have been focused on the high profile national elections. How could deepfakes affect other elections at the state or even the local level? Yeah, that is, that I mean, it's a great question. I think uh, the answer is we don't know, but probably more and in a more pervasive manner than they would at the federal level. The same way a little amount of money spent in a campaign at the state or local level can go a long way because the races are smaller, fewer people are engaging. The same will be true with deepfake advertising or uh, deepfake robocalls or whatever whatever is created by AI. It won't take as much to influence the market. It won't take as much to change um, the way voters in a particular geographic area are thinking or feeling. And it can be incredibly targeted um, to the people in that area. So I think uh, it's a real concern. And certainly we need solutions at every level, not just the federal. Yeah. And one of my concerns is deepfakes that happen at a more localized level could just be harder to debunk. I mean, at a national high profile election, I would think that, you know, you've got more press, more people following an individual may be able to say like, hey, this didn't happen. I was around this person all day or be able to kind of piece together a schedule that way. But without the same press coverage, I'm just not sure what's going to happen in terms of more localized elections. I think that's right. Without any kind of clear guardrails in place, we are completely dependent on all of us watchdogging. The way the, the deepfakes we know are deepfakes have been debunked to date is exactly as you described. The video and picture of Trump hugging Fauci, <laughs> which is not something that, that ever happened, that the DeSantis campaign put out, that was debunked by the Trump campaign. You know, it's high level, it's pro high profile. They can say that never happened and people will believe them, at least in theory. You know, at the local or state level, it's, it's possible that people won't even catch it, um, you know, let alone debunk it in time to impact the election. So many of the concerns about deepfakes seem to relate to other technological developments, such as social media, where people could potentially share deepfakes almost instantly. Are we seeing the market offer any solutions to address the risk posed by deepfakes? Certainly, one of the things I often say about deepfake election advertising is that it's it's just a problem we already had, but now on steroids. It's not as if we didn't have mis and disinformation in our elections. We know we did. It was a huge problem in 2020, you know, and it, it will be again, even if we didn't have the advent of this technology. Those are still the ways in which the fake information gets conveyed through through Twitter, through or X, uh, through uh, Instagram, through the trusted platforms that people are using. You know, in terms of the market correcting itself, it's always a dangerous question, I think, you know, looking to um, corporate behemoths to check themselves, you know, in a situation like this where, where, you know, we do what we really need is a wholesale regulatory solution. We have seen, you know, some voluntary commitments on the part of companies. 
you know, there were some conversations between the AI creators, the biggest tech platforms, you know, who own, uh, you know, the, the AI creators uh, with the White House and voluntary commitments that came from that. They're pretty high level. They're pretty light. Um, you know, we have seen Google commit to, you know, in some way make clear when AI is being used uh, on their platform. Um, so that that's good. I mean, I think none of that is is not needed. We need to pursue every avenue in at this moment. But until we have something that is across the board clear, where there's a label that's required for every instance where AI is being used, you know, this sort of patchwork won't be enough um, either to you know create trust that what you're seeing is created by a person, um, or to really you know get to the heart of the problem in time. Yeah, and there are a couple of ways that labeling can occur. Of course, you know, ideally it would be before media is ever posted. It has a label attached that shows like, hey, this was created by AI in some capacity. But then, you know, there's also this idea that technology companies could go or platform actually catch things that have been posted without that disclaimer and say like this, you know, flag, this was created by AI. Are any companies looking at doing that as well, actually trying to moderate content in that way? Claiming they will take steps in that direction, <laughs> trying to, you know, okay. prevent, as you're saying, sort of open source usage, of deep fakes that were created by others, uh, and that is certainly one of the hardest thing. Even if, even if there's a label um, that is required for the creator, if it can be disseminated by others without those same disclosures, then we are sort of losing that uh, clarity that we would get. So, so yes, that's one of the commitments. So several of the companies have made, not all though, and again, that sort of patchwork is is a problem. And so, you know, for any legislation that we see, any regulatory action that we see, at least a public citizen, we are advocating that, you know, developers, third party licensors of content, open source content, it all would be required to have system systemic labeling. Yeah, and it seems like there's an issue about how quick that can occur, given, you know, the vast amounts of content that is posted daily, I mean, down to the minute. And one of the things I've read about is this risk of, you know, what happens if there's an October surprise? If there's something late in the game um, prior to an election, how do you flag something after it's already been posted and make sure everyone who's seen it knows? That is absolutely right. <laughs> we are singing from the same songbook. <laughs> Debunking is never as good as something that happens on the front end. Um, you know, we would like to see either required disclosures or labeling, as we've talked about already, or even a complete ban on, uh, you know, material that's being used in a punitive fashion or you know, to create fraud against a candidate or another party. And all of that would have to happen at the outset. Uh, certainly, it's important uh, for people to understand these lines before they see the content. Uh, a late stage surprise, as you said, uh, is the thing that we can all imagine. It's the nightmare scenario of a video of, you know, Biden falling down the stairs that would be incredibly believable. Um, and it would be too late to debunk. One of the solutions I've heard about is this idea that artificial intelligence systems could also be created to detect AI-generated content. How good is the technology at doing that? It's pretty good. Um, it's kind of dependent on what uh, you're talking about. So, you know, tools that are designed to detect text are fairly sophisticated, um, you know, mainly coming into play to combat uh, the usage of chat GPT and the like, the, you know, sort of the legal brief that is written that has errors in it, um, you know, that was written by ChatGPT. I'm sure you all have discussed that on the ACS line before. 
you need to be able to find those things in advance. You need to be able to, to catch um, the use of AI when it comes to text. It's a little harder when it comes to video. Um, there are cues, absolutely, you know, occasional glitches in shadows and reflections, um, which are sort of telltale signs of AI generated images, videos. You know, and it's advancing just as, as AI is itself, you know, the technologies to catch it are as well. But I think it's it's safe to say that as all of this continues to improve, um, it will get better and better. And so it is certainly possible that it will get to a point where it's unable to be caught, where the AI is simply too good, too realistic, and we won't know. Yeah, it seems like in terms of AI detection tools and tools to generate AI, it's almost like an arms race. You know, as one gets better, the other one becomes more sophisticated to outpace it at least for a moment. So I'm hopeful that that will be a partial solution, but it doesn't seem like it's the entire fix. Yes, I I think that is is right. And I think it's worrying to depend on the same you know, I don't want to say all companies are bad actors, but, you know, the same corporations that are in the midst of trying to profit off of what they're creating, you know, to, to be the fix at the same time. It's, it's not to say there aren't important innovations that AI is bringing us and real usage for creativity and, and creationism generally. But, you know, it, it, it's not as if we can depend on them to regulate themselves or to catch themselves in a complete manner. That's why we need, you know, a system put in place either by legislation or by rulemaking. So that leads me conveniently into my next question. Is there a role for government in regulating deepfakes and in particular deepfakes used in the context of elections? Yes. So um, <laughs> we think not only a role, but um, an essential need um, for both. You know, certainly, as we talked about at the top, you know, the, the instances of, of the use of deepfakes are, are ever growing. I think, um, you know, the chances of, of technology or, or voluntary regulatory, uh, you know, compliance on the part of companies catching up in time or having enough of an incentive to protect the public to do the right thing it are, is low. And so we really do need to depend on both Congress and on agencies to take action. It has been good to see that this has been moderately bipartisan as an idea. I think um, Republicans and Democrats alike understand that this technology could be harnessed against them. You know, there's no reason to think that Republican political consultants will do this more than Democratic political consultants. And so uh, I think there has been some agreement that that, um, we do need to see regulation exactly what they will look like is obviously very up in the air and, and whether they can be created in time um, to impact 2024, which I again think is this, this test case is also up in question. You're listening to Broken Law, brought to you by the American Constitution Society. If you're enjoying Broken Law, consider becoming a member of ACS today. You do not need to be a lawyer to be a member. As we discuss so often on this podcast, our laws and legal systems impact all of us. By supporting ACS, you support Broken Law, our work to diversify the federal bench, and our advocacy for Supreme Court reform. You also become a member of our nationwide network. Learn more about ACS by visiting our website at acslaw.org. And now, back to the conversation. The Federal Election Campaign Act prohibits fraudulent misrepresentation. Is there a role for the FEC to play with respect to regulating deepfakes? Yes, we think uh, an important role. And actually, at Public Citizen, we petitioned the FEC, uh, asking them to put into place both guidance and regulations uh, under their fraudulent misrepresentation text. So they have the ability to um, crack down when a candidate or a party decides to represent their opponent, has done or said something that they never did. They've always had that authority under FICA, as you said. 
And so now we think that just needs to be applied to AI. You know, something was fraudulently created before. We didn't have the tool of AI to use, and now we do. And so the regs need to be updated to reflect that. I think it's very common sense. Uh, so we petitioned to that end. Um, it went through a little bit of turmoil the first time they voted on whether to move our petition into the register. There was a deadlock amongst the commissioners. We resubmitted with much fanfare, and they have now moved it forward. So that is an open question at the agency. It's an open comment period as well. So your listeners should think about weighing in. Um, until October 16th, they'll be taking comment on whether the agency should move forward regulating and creating a, a deep fake application of their existing rules. The prohibition on fraudulent misrepresentation under FICA only applies to candidates and their employees and agents. Uh, what about deep fakes that could come from others? Yes. I, I mean, that is a core point. So this is a narrow fix. It's not even a fix. It's a it's a narrow thing that needs to happen. It is what the agency has the authority to do. You know, they, uh, as you said, under FICA, they can they can do this for candidates and parties. However, um, outside groups, those political consultants I mentioned before, um, you know, nonprofit entities that play in politics, uh, super PACs, you know, many other entities will not be covered by this rule. And so absolutely, we need action that goes beyond what the FEC currently has authority to do. Um, that means legislation. And so we're supporting some of that as well. Back in May, uh, Senator Klobuchar, um, Cory Booker, uh, Michael Bennett, they introduced the Real Political Ads Act. And then in the House, it has a companion with uh, Yvette Clark. Um, this would require a disclaimer on political ads that use images or video generated by AI. Um, so what we've been talking about, this kind of labeling prerogative, uh, this bill would get to that. And then even more recently, just I think a week and a half ago, the Senator Klobuchar also introduced bipartisan legislation simply to ban uh, the use of artificial intelligence when it's used to generate materially deceptive content. So basically what we were just talking about, you know, depicting federal candidates in ways that they never acted, um, you know, that would be banned. And she did this with Collins, with Coons, and Holly. So hoping for movement on both. So I want to dive into another threat posed by AI that involves astroturfing. Could you explain what exactly astroturfing is? Yeah, astroturfing, which is a play on um, grassroots organizing, which is the real way that regular people are organized. Astroturfing, uh, much like grass is real and astroturf is fake. Um, astroturfing is when there's a fake campaign, a fake, you know, sort of PR push. It looks like a lot of people have done something, but they really didn't. So, you know, whether it's lots of, uh, you know, comments coming in from the public to a rulemaking or, you know, lots of calls that are seemingly coming into elected officials or to the White House or agencies on something, um, what is generated in a way that is fake is sort of orchestrated marketing. We call it astroturfing. Got it. Um, and I think even on the consumer side, you can see this if there's like an online product page, having a bunch of fake reviews on there would be just another example of how astroturfing can play out. So astroturfing has occurred without AI before. Does the use of artificial intelligence bring some additional risk of astroturfing? I think so. Uh, much like really everything we talked about uh, when it comes to deep fakes, I mean, the, the pace of creation, the accuracy of creation, you know, all of that is just more likely to pull in comments that seem real to, to regulators, to pull in... Uh, or to influence a lot of people to do something um, quickly that they wouldn't have done otherwise. So, you know, any of that, I think that, that sort of action that is not real grassroots, but is AstroTurf is, is likely to happen faster and to pull more people to it. Yeah. Previously, AstroTurfing, it was more technology generated. 
I think it was more easily identifiable. Things seemed to be more repetitious. You could see, you know, that maybe a profile was created very recently. There were just markers of, you know, this has been copy and pasted over and over again. Or if it was more convincing, there was a human element that was needed where, you know, maybe you pull in people who are real people and, you know, you get them to post that. Artificial intelligence makes that a little different. It combines the ease of entry with the just persuasion um, of almost a human actually doing something. That's right. I mean, I think uh, at Public Citizen, we're about to come out with a report about how anthropomorphized AI is, you know, the way, um, you know, people interact with ChatGPT or, or many other AI entities, you know, that the AI calls itself I, you know, they use phrases that are very colloquial, you know, it's just, it's, it's very human. And I think uh, the same is true for, you know, writing, <laughs> if they're going to generate a ton of comments, they could all look different, you know, it will be, you could almost instantaneously create, you know, a deluge of fake comments that feel like they've come from different individual persons writing in. And that's, that's new, or, or at least in terms of the amount of effort it takes to make something like that happen. This could be used in a few different ways. I think you mentioned some of them. Writing in comments or writing into lawmakers, you know, support of particular policies or regulations. Um, but then there's also just the risk of, you know, this flooding social media and creating this false idea of consensus. What kind of impact could that have on elections? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, fairly proven that most Americans get their news um, from trusted sources, uh, channels that are very streamlined to include their friends and colleagues and people they know and they already trust. You know, if suddenly all of your friends and colleagues and trusted actors are saying the same thing or reposting the same thing, you know, again, it's it's not something that's new. You know, it's how mis and disinformation you know, always kind of percolates around the internet, but the fact that um, there could be so much more of it and it could be so much more believable, you know, when before you might've been able to say, oh, that's obviously fake, that's going to make a difference. Um, you know, if you're looking for your news in a place and everyone is saying the same thing and it looks real, you'll believe it. So what can be done to address the risk that artificial intelligence could be used to create this false idea of consensus, to create you know, echo chambers or an overwhelming amount of people saying, appearing to say the same thing. Yeah. I mean, I feel like I'm unfortunately on repeat with my solutions, but I think we, <laughs> we think it's, it all comes down to the same thing. You know, if there is a clear um, set of guardrails, wherein you could either the media itself is banned, or if it's not, there's such a clear disclosure or disclaimer that you understand it was made by a machine. It changes the way you interact with it. If you're seeing something, even if it's on everybody's page, if it says at the bottom created by AI, you will interact with it differently than if you think it was made by the sister of your of your, you know, friend from college. I think that's, that'll be the difference. If we can truly understand that something was created through machine learning, we'll react to it differently. And hopefully there won't be this, these sort of echo chambers where, where those things become real. Yeah. It's kind of the difference between seeing all those, you know, fake reviews on a product page and thinking that they're all from individual people or knowing that it's, you know, from one organization, it shifts kind of the way in which you interpret the information that you're receiving. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, anytime something has been debunked, you know, we see that, you know, immediately people are, you know, saying they were never hoodwinked by it. You know, it only took 
not even, you know, 10 minutes after that Pentagon, um, you know, fake Pentagon explosion was debunked and people started seeing that, that the market came back up. You know, I do think like people, people react to the knowledge that something is, is not real and they change their behaviors. And I think that is all it will take having this sort of clear labeling. And, and when I say labeling, I should, I should be clear. I don't mean watermarking, which is a term that's been thrown around a lot as a solution, particularly by the tech companies themselves, because that just means that there's a way underneath for designers to understand that it was made by AI. It does not mean that there's a clear label, you know, akin to like a, a you know, a warning label on a, on a prescription drug. You know, that is what we need, that kind of consumer protection. Sure. That warning label has to be obvious enough that someone at a relatively quick glance can see, oh, there's something here to check out. So much of our conversation is focused on the threat that artificial intelligence generated content could lead individuals to form false beliefs. But the misuse of AI creates another real and important risk that people become so uncertain about media that they just don't trust anything to be truthful. What implications does that have for our democracy? It's such a million dollar question, I think. I mean, that that has huge ramifications. I mean, if people if the sort of knowledge commons is degraded, if people don't believe anything they see is real, then they'll check out. You know, we already have a problem of participation in our democracy. We have um, people already thinking that they can only trust these sort of trusted actors, friends and relatives, etc. You know, that that politics itself is bought and sold. Not that that's completely untrue, but I think people don't, you know, the the trust variant in quotient is already very, very low. And so anything that makes things seem worse, trustworthy is going to have an and potentially a severe one. It's not going to take very long, you know, which is why I feel like this election is kind of ground zero um, for getting it right for people to, to, you know, believe that it's, that's irreparable. What can we do to reduce the risk that people will lose that broadly in all media? I don't think there's a single way. I think, you know, the most important is what we've just talked about, this creation of this universal labeling framework for disclosure, you know, a way to understand when AI has been created for nefarious purposes. And if it was intended to be fraudulent, it should be banned. But we also need, um, you know, countervailing good information. I think that's something we haven't talked about yet. So, you know, we need more election officials to engage and share what is true and share it as loudly as they can, you know, resource dependent. You know, we need trusted sources to say the right things and to, you know, counter, um, you know, fake information that might be out there. I think, you know, it's it's maybe harder to, to catch hold, um, but there has been some discussion about how to use AI, you know, in an innovative way to, to do that, to do some of that. So I think, you know, again, there's no single solution beyond what I keep saying um, to, to, in terms of guardrails. But I think, you know, the more we're able to put good actors out there saying the truth, you know, the, the less it will feel like everything is just false. So for those who are interested in how artificial intelligence might affect our democracy and elections and who want to take that next step, where can they go to learn more? Well, as the executive vice president of Public Citizen, I will send people to Public Citizen. So our website is just citizen.org. Um, we've been doing a lot of thinking about artificial intelligence. There's a number of reports there which talk about some of these harms, but also solutions, as well as legislative recommendations and where we're advocating for them. One thing we didn't talk about here, uh, in addition to pushing the FEC to act, we're also going to be petitioning uh, state elections uh, agencies to take similar actions. So in some states, people will have the opportunity to weigh in and tell their regulator this is something they'd want to see here at home. So um, you can find some of that on our page as well as it gets rolling. Lisa, thank you so much for joining me in this conversation. It was a pleasure having you. Great to chat with you too, Beth. Thanks. 
And thanks to our listeners for finding Broken Law. If you missed last week's episode with Cliff Sloan, I encourage you to go back and check that out. You can catch that episode wherever you're listening to this one. If you're enjoying Broken Law, help us bring the show to more listeners by recommending it to a friend and leaving us a review. You can also find our episodes and show notes on our website, acslaw.org slash podcast. Together, we'll speak truths to power about the law, whose interests it really serves, and whose it does not. <laughs>